Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everyone, to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby, Mary Kay Cabot, Ashley Bastock, Irie Harris. We're still sort of in training camp mode here as we're recording after practice, uh, a few hours after the Browns held practice, a few hours after they cut their roster down to 53, or at least their initial 53. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But first of all, it's Carolina week, kind of. Baker Mayfield got us started unintentionally. So Cynthia Freeland went on a podcast, uh, I think it was, when was it? Was it this morning or was it yesterday, Mary Kay? You know what? I'm recent. not sure. Yeah, I think In it, the might, last it day might have been, yeah, it might have been a couple days ago. Um, and apparently Baker Mayfield said something to her. Uh, you've got it, Mary Kay. What was it that he said? He said, and I really don't use this kind of language, <laughs> Dan. That's why I'm forcing it on you. <laughs> uh, but he said um, to her... I'm going to bleep. I'm going to F them up about the Cleveland Browns. And this was a conversation in which Cynthia was very excited to see Baker Mayfield. She ran up to him and she was the one that sort of started saying, um, Hey, you know, are you going to kick some butt or whatever you're going to do? And, um, you know, that sort of, it seemed to inspire him to answer with, (laughs) I'm going to expletive them up. And she shared it on the Around the NFL podcast, and um, and of course, uh, I think our our friend, our dear friend Ellis, was yes. uh, the first person to to actually pick that up and write it. And um, and I saw it early this morning, and so then I went and watched it, and and I wrote it too. And then it kind of, you know, it kind of went from there. And now, uh, you know, Cynthia has appeared. On some local <laughs> outlets, she was on ninety two the fan today. She was up around on the ultimate Cleveland sports show today, and um, and so it just kind of grew from there. And so that's that's kind of the backdrop. So I just want to say, everyone, it is twenty twenty two. If you say something on a podcast, especially something like that, it's going to make news. Let's just all you guys are all aware now. Everyone's aware. It's two thousand twenty two. If you share a private conversation on a podcast where a quarterback says of his former team he's going to expletive them up, that's probably going to generate headlines. But Ashley, here we are, Baker Mayfield kind of unintentionally firing the first salvo here. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of not surprised that it came from Baker, right? Like, I've said a, a lot of times about Baker, and to be fair, 
when he made this alleged comment, he had no way of knowing it was going to be in headlines from, you know, everywhere from Charlotte to Cleveland. And, yeah, and I, sh I, sh I should say, I, I guess we don't know that it was a private conversation, yes, we, but what, we whatever, how, whatever way it was said. Right, but, you know, there is there is a chance that he thought that he was having a private conversation, and now it's it's out there. But, like I've said before about Baker, I think, like, the, he can't help himself with his moxie and this side <laughs> of his personality a lot of times, and that's for better or for worse, right? Like... We've seen the negative effect it can have on a team. We've seen the positive effect it can have on a team with him leading the playoff run in 2020 the way he did. So um, it's not really surprising. I know we're going to talk about it, but some, some mixed messages, you know, from, from inside this building on what these comments truly mean. But, you know, I think there's, there's certainly the belief on my end that this is going to be some huge bulletin board material, especially for this defense and how they take things. Yeah, and I, re I, asked, I asked Kevin after practice, like, does it feel like today is sort of that the switch flips to week one? It's Carolina week, and then, of course, we'll get into he was asked later directly about these comments. But when this comes out, it certainly feels like, all right, like, we're on to Carolina now. It's on. We've started. Yeah, I mean, this is... It's kind of hilarious, to be honest, when it comes to Baker. I think the one thing, aside from uh, how it, his production was on the field or how he was uh, after the game and being a cancer in the locker room, as some people would say, the one thing I always admire about him was just that FU kind of attitude. The only problem is he's doing it against his former team, <laughs> who, I mean, by the numbers, is one of the best uh, regarding in defense. I mean, they have one of the top coordinators in the league in Joe Woods. Don't even get me started on his resume. The other hilarious part of it is him going to a team that was near near the bottom, according to Pro Football Focus, and overall rating in pass blocking and pass routes. So for him to go down to Carolina, where, I mean, the only receiver off top that he's going to be really looking for is going to be DJ Moore, who will likely be locked down by Denzel Ward, he's going to mess around and throw a couple of interceptions in the first half, I think. And then this uh, quote is definitely going to backfire on them. So uh, overall, I, I see it as comedy and definitely bullets and uh, war material, especially for a, a, a large human like Miles Garrett, who is probably going to sleep tonight thinking about Baker. So I, I can't wait. I can't wait. So Mary Kay, let's, let's get to that, because Kevin downplayed it, as you would expect. Kevin Stefanski was not going to take the bait, but you had an opportunity to sit down with Miles Garrett and he basically said he said the opposite thing as Kevin said, which is, this is not the first time that's happened. Miles is going to say what Miles wants to say, and he's earned that right as as one of the best players on this team and best players in the league. Uh, but he he didn't play it as coy as Kevin Stefanski played it. No, not at all. I mean, I asked him point blank about those remarks, and he said. Uh, you know, I don't hold it against Baker for saying what he said. That's Baker Mayfield. That's how he gets himself motivated. I watched him do it here the whole time we were together. Uh, that's how he gets his chip on his shoulder and his swagger and his game face on. But he said, you know, we're going to use it too. He said, we will take it and we will use it as motivation. And he's going to get himself amped up over this. We're going to get ourselves amped up over this. And that's just, you know, that's just the truth. And now last week, Miles Garrett was really trying to be politically correct when we talked to him at the podium. But once when something like this comes out, you know, the gloves are off. And, and, you know, then it's time to go ahead and just tell it like it is. And he was just being very honest. They are going to use this as motivation. And you know what it reminded me of? Browns is the Browns, <laughs> yeah. right? It reminded me of that because if the Browns needed to get themselves fired up for this game and have just that little extra to go down there 
with everything that this team has been through, with losing Deshaun Watson for the first 11 games and all the stress and the booze and all that kind of thing, well, they have it. Now they have exactly what they need to get up for this game. Yeah, you know, Ashley, I don't believe Kevin. I'm sorry, no. I don't believe him. Do you believe, like, is he no. really just not going to no. use this? Absolutely <laughs> no. not. I don't believe Kevin, and we know that he is a great motivator. But here's my thing about Kevin, and I'll always remind people of this, like, when you get these quotes from him and they're kind of boring and there's nothing really to take from them, like, Kevin Stefanski never wants to be the story. He never wants to be the reason that there are negative headlines out there. He wants, you know, the players to be the focus of things, and... That's, you know, maybe a great philosophy for an organization that was in turmoil for two decades, <laughs> but obviously as reporters, sometimes you don't get that personality that other head coaches have. Um, but of course I don't believe him. Look at the Bengals. I think you were the one who pointed out on the AMK pod yesterday, Dan. The Bengals game last year was by far the best game this team played, and that was the prime motivation that they had coming off of the Odell Beckham Jr. stuff. Um, look at the Steelers game after the Browns is the Browns. Of course, these guys like amp themselves up. I'm sure Kevin like is, you know, I think he's kind of like been known to be a good motivator, right? I mean, yeah. I haven't covered him as long as you guys have, but that's kind of my perception of him. But it's it's at the same time. I'm like, yeah, it's not surprising he said that. But of course, I don't believe it that this isn't going to be a motivator. I read it sounded like you don't believe it either. No, I, I, I don't. When when Kevin is there underneath the tent talk, talking to us, he knows the game. He's going to give the PR type answers. But Dan, and you know this because you did the stream, you know where he's from. You know, in that locker room, he's going to give out even bigger and badder bleeps, bleeps. The Philly is going to come out of him. He's going to be ready. This is a bulletin. This is probably bigger uh, bulletin board material for him just as much as it is for Garrett than anybody else on the team because he coached him. He's ready. He's going to be ready. Well, not not only did he coach him, and you're right about that, and it's funny to hear about Irie talk about the Philly coming out of him <laughs> because that is where Irie is from. Yes. Um, but uh, not only did he coach him, but he also took a few arrows from Baker Mayfield yep. along the way. And um, so, you know, I mean, Kevin's obviously completely professional, but, uh, you know, there, there wasn't a whole lot of warm and fuzzy feelings between those two uh, as they parted ways, just the same way there really wasn't with Miles Garrett. Oh, listen, I said it before. I'll say it again. I thought it was strange that there was no statement from Kevin Stefanski in the Baker Mayfield trade press release. I thought that was bizarre. Sometimes silence is louder than any words one could possibly say, though. <laughs> and I think that was the case with that. Now, now here, here is the question. I know this can, is this isn't hypotheticals and something that could happen that we will respond to on the pod in the coming weeks. Who knows with this being Panthers week? But if if they were to win, if Baker was to win, I think it's fair to say they could lose the rest of their games throughout the season. Because nobody's speaking of them regarding a serious playoff contender. But this game probably means more to Baker than any, any other game of the season. I think if he was to beat the Browns, he'd be satisfied. He wouldn't care about any other games throughout the rest of the season. I mean, we talked about it. This was sort of a shrug of a game before Baker got traded there. And there was always that in the back of our minds. Like, this is probably where he's going to end up. But, like, until it actually happened and then he won the job, this was sort of like, yeah, okay, Carolina... They're going to win that game. This is, you know, whatever. And now it's like, oh, this is like one of the games of the week. You know, you got Russell Wilson going back to Seattle. You got the Browns facing Baker Mayfield. I mean, this is a marquee game all of a sudden at 1 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, these guys are human, right? And 
there is something to be said for getting really fired up about something and just getting that extra little motivation. And if that wasn't a real thing, I, I watched Bill Belichick do that to his players way back in the day and how he would motivate them and how he would find something, anything that he could find in an article or something and get these guys fired up. And I think Miles responds well to getting a, you know, a little bit of a fire lit under him. I remember Sheldon Richardson talking to me once about Miles Garrett, and he would say, I, I would motivate Miles during a game by telling him, oh, that was only half a sack. Or, mm -hmm. you know, he said, I knew how to push his buttons. Well, everybody's got buttons, and I think uh, perhaps Miles just got his, his push. Now, he had said last week, uh, you know, very sort of in a, in a politically correct fashion, that he wouldn't mind getting a couple sacks against Baker Mayfield, and now I think he has a little bit of what <laughs> he needs to get there. Okay. Let's take a break, and then let's talk about the other news of the day. It doesn't feel real newsy because it felt pretty obvious, but let's just talk about the 53-man roster, the initial 53-man roster that the Browns set earlier today. I'm back on the Orange Browns Hawk podcast. We're recording this on Tuesday a few hours after the Browns released their 53-man roster. I think it was pretty close to what we dialed up on the pod. Um, you know, mine turned out pretty well, but like... It's just because everything felt so predictable on this. And even some of the questions, like, they said Anthony Schwartz was going to make the roster. You know, we kind of knew DeAnthony Bell was going to make the roster. So a couple surprises, but nothing huge. So I guess let's each come up with, like, one thing that stood out to us. Mary Kay, what do you think? Drew Forbes. Mm -hmm. You nailed Drew Forbes. <laughs> nailed Drew Forbes. I should have listened. Yeah, you know what? I mean, that was funny because he came, he was the first player in off the bench when Wyatt Teller oh. left. And I just thought, you know what, if this is a dress rehearsal game, yeah. Yeah. and you're doing that in the dress rehearsal game, right? And it's like interesting too, once you said that, I started thinking about it, and I think I wrote a newsletter that I included him, because I'm like, he's technically like a tackle, and they put him in for Wyatt. Like, I think they like his versatility, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, so when I saw that happen, I and, you know, I just it just seemed like uh, the signs were pointing there. So I did have him... Uh, I got a few things wrong on my 53, uh, but one of the reasons uh, why I had one wrong is I had Jordan Kuna. Does anybody know how to pronounce his last name? No, but the no. middle linebacker. The I middle linebacker. Okay, I, re I originally had him, but wait a minute. This is a horrible, sad little tale of woe of mine. <laughs> so I had him on my 53, yeah. and then I went out for my walk, and I got stuck in this horrible storm. It was just, uh, it was very, very scary. Annie M, it was really bad. But anyways, so I get home from my walk, and I have this email from our plain dealer guy, and he was like, hey, your numbers add up to 53, but you threw an extra linebacker. Like it said I had five, five linebackers, linebackers okay. but I actually had six. And the last one was Jordan. And he's like, should I just lop Jordan off of there? And at that point, I was like... <laughs> Oh, man, darn it. You know, and I couldn't think of like, okay, well, what would be the other thing that I would do? And it was getting late and, you know, it just, we just needed to make a decision. Mm -hmm. So I just lopped old Jordan off and then in the comments said, he's still a good candidate to make it. I cannot count. I didn't say that, but I should have said, I can't count. Um, but anyways, so yeah, I, I had a pretty good idea he was going to make it too. But I wasn't sure who else to take off of there. I should have taken Johnny Stanton off of there. Mm -hmm. I should have taken Johnny off. So let, let's talk about that. Let's go down that road. Because I, I didn't put Johnny on. Yeah. And 
I think one of the interesting developments today was they kept two tight ends and no fullbacks. Right. And we've been talking about this, right? Mary Kay, you've been on this for a little while. Like, this offense is going to look different. It has to with Deshaun Watson. Right. But I wondered, like, maybe I should keep Johnny Stanton because Jacoby's going to be playing, and so maybe it will look a little more like it did last year. But I think today was a little bit of an indication, and they could still add a tight end via waivers or find a fullback. They could still add one of these guys, but... I do think today was a pretty clear indication that this offense is going to be a little more open. It's going to be a little smaller than it's been in the past. And I also think it's going to include a lot of two back sets, Mm -hmm. but obviously no fullback. I think that's kind of where, that's going to be this year's 13 personnel, Mm -hmm. is you're going to see a lot of Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, or Nick Chubb and Dearness Johnson, Jerome Ford. I think that's the direction they're going, Ashley, is more running backs on the field, not more tight ends. Yeah, and when we've talked about them using Nick and Kareem together, what have we said? Like, you'll probably get Kareem in kind of lining up as like a tight end, and I think now that we know Jerome Ford can be so active in the pass game, maybe we'll see him there too, especially if Kareem gets hurt or something. Um, but yeah, Dan, that was the, like one of the first things I noticed because when we were doing our projections, I thought, okay, I don't think they're going to keep both Johnny Stanton and Miller Forrestal necessarily, but I thought they might keep one of those two, especially because Johnny Stanton's been working with the tight ends all off season when we've seen him in, you know, drills and everything. So that was definitely an interesting, interesting development, especially for, it becomes more interesting when you remember this team used 13 personnel far and away way more than any other team in the league last year. They used it, I think, on like 17 or 18% of their offensive plays, which is bananas. I don't think another team used it more than 10% of their offensive plays. Yeah, I mean, it just feels like... I, I want to see what this offense looks like. I do, you know, because the receiver room is still thin, but I, I think there's guys that are going to put out there. I think we'll see more 11 personnel, but again, I want to see what they do if they have Dearness Johnson, Jerome Ford, Nick Chubb, um, who am I forgetting? Uh... Dearness Johnson, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, <laughs> Demetric Felton, Jerome Ford. That's five. Yeah. There we go. Now, Demetric Felton might be more of a receiver, but they got a lot of running backs. Yeah, no, yeah. We, uh, Saturday, after Saturday's game in my post, one of, the, one of the things that I dove into was the running back dilemma. And I pretty much said the depth of the running backs for the Browns is ridiculous. And it, this is a business. Somebody has to get cut. Uh, I, I'm definitely looking forward to how they use and place everybody, especially, as you guys said, in the slot position. You can really do a lot of damage on that, especially because Kareem Hunt is a total threat to anybody in the league when it comes to that pass, uh, you know, running back, acting as a receiver and a slot catcher type of combo. So if you do that and really just utilize everyone the way you should, they're going to do a lot of damage. But, yes, this is going to be a more open, conservative type of uh, offense that we're going to see this year. Regarding Jacoby, who we're going to have for the first 11 games, don't expect too many deep balls, but definitely see a lot more utilization within the 5 to 15-yard range uh, regarding passes. Not too much of deep threats, even though we do have deep threats on the team, but it's not a deep threat quarterback. Uh, But I'm definitely looking forward to how this offense works. Well, and I think the thing to remember is that you might see two different philosophies a little bit. You know, you'll have Jacoby in the first 11 games, and they'll do some things with him in there. I think, you know, run the ball more and maybe use a little bit of a a heavier offense when he's in. And then, you know, we'll see how that evolves when Deshaun gets back. And I think you'll see, you know, more of the downfield passing game and, um, you know, some things, you know, some called designed runs and more of a dual threat type of situation. Um, As we mentioned before, I would use Joshua Dobbs 
as a change of pace quarterback at times when Jacoby is in there playing, but we'll see if that will happen. Um, but yeah, I think for the most part, you know, they, uh, you know, sort of put the signpost out about what they're doing and what the paradigm shift is here. But I do think that we will see over the next day or two, Miller Forrestall come back onto the practice squad and maybe another one of those tight ends come back onto the practice squad. The other thing, and I do want to talk about Deshaun real quickly uh, before we go, but the other the other thing that stood out is they did keep five safeties. Yeah. And I think a part of that is like, I just think they, they couldn't cut D'Anthony Bell. It was sort of the Dearness Johnson situation last year. He was just too good, and, and so you couldn't cut him. You had to keep him around. I also think it's an indication, even though they kept our buddy Jordan, he's probably just a special teamer. So I think it's an indication that this really is going to be a smaller defense as well. We are going to see a lot of three safety looks, and we are going to see a lot of DBs on the field. So, again, the makeup of the roster could change a little bit between now and, and when people hear this, but there's times when you got to show your cards in this league, and I, I feel like Mary Kay, they're showing their cards a little bit on defense. Yeah, they are, and, you know, this team loves defensive backs, and rightfully so, and, and Joe Woods talks a lot about playing his dime defense and you need a lot of safeties for that uh, I think the 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 keeping of Richard LeCount also uh, signifies that they do not cut their draft picks they just right. don't yeah. do it 24 they, of 24 yeah they, they don't do it and uh, you know I think we you know you start to learn a regime's tendencies after a few years and we now know that they will give these guys the benefit of the doubt and um and they draft guys for the future. I mean, they don't draft them for right now. So even though we, you know, may, you know, we look at Anthony Schwartz and we say, "Oh, geez, he just might not be able to cut it." They are always thinking two years down the road. They're always thinking two years down the road. So, um, you know, so I think that's what happens when you get some of these younger draft picks and some of these guys. Even the, you know, a Tony Fields, same thing. Tony Fields had a lost season last year, largely because of his broken foot, uh, made somewhat of an impact on special teams. We'll do the same thing this year. Um, but you know what? You never know. I mean, he might turn into something as they move forward. He might not, but they do not give up on their draft picks. Jeff Howard let something slip, I thought, when he talked uh, a couple weeks ago. And these, you should listen to these press conferences and they all draw on, but every now and again, something will, you'll hear something that'll stand out to you. And something stood out to me with him when he said something about positionless football. If Scott Patsko is listening to this, he's going to lose his mind. <laughs> but he, he used the phrase positionless football and then he kind of stopped himself. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that, listen, this is an analytics-driven front office. I feel like Joe Woods has been leaning towards this. They're very secondary heavy. They draft guys like JOK and Tony Fields and Jacob Phillips. I mean, Ashley, it feels like when you keep this many corners and this many safeties, that's sort of what you want is you want sort of this, almost like this blob out there. Yeah. Like, here's okay, and, here's your defensive front, but then behind that, it's like, who knows what you're doing. And even think about who their first draft pick was this year, Martin Emerson, a yeah. guy who Joe Wood says, I walk by him and sometimes I think he's one of the linebackers. Like, even just the physical makeup of these guys they draft, but the linebackers, I think, are a great point. Look at these guys in this room now. You have JOK, who is, like, one of the most versatile young linebackers in the game. You have Tony Fields, who is very similar to JOK, Jacob Phillips, who has some versatility that we haven't even fully gotten to see yet because of his injuries. Like, I think 
that's what draws them to these guys a lot of the time. So I, I definitely think, yeah, maybe that was a little a slip up on his part, but it seems like we've been trending that way for a while with this front office. Go ahead. I mean, with the, you know, with the way that the NFL has trended with these amazing quarterbacks and many dual threat quarterbacks, uh, you know, the, the back end of the defenses have evolved with that. I mean, you've got to be able to defend Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and all of all of these guys, really, anymore. Wait until Malik Willis gets on the field. Well, and, and Irene, in this division alone, you go, you got to face Lamar Jackson and that kind of heavy offense twice, and then you got to face Joe Burrow and just weapons. I mean, he's got like three guys that could all be number one receivers elsewhere, including Jamar Chase, who might who soon could be the best receiver in the league. You you had to deal with that every year, facing all these different looking offenses, and who knows what Pittsburgh's going to look like? But they always draft receivers well. They can always throw the ball. You, you got to have a defense that can do a lot of different things. You do, and I know we mentioned this always being really analytics driven. They can mess around and be the NFL version of Moneyball at this point, just because it really complements the type of roster they build, especially on the defensive side, the different guys, the different styles. I, I, I'm just so excited to, to see how, how they really utilize everybody, uh, especially the smaller guys on the team. I'm just, I can't wait. I really can't. Okay, real quickly, um, Deshaun Watson, his suspension officially started at 4 o'clock today. He was not on the practice field, so he is officially um, out of the building you know, Mary Kate, this is something that's always kind of bothered me a little bit, that you suspend these guys, and if the goal is rehabilitation, is it beneficial to send them away to basically say you can't be around your team, you can't be around, your coaches can't contact you, like, we're going to isolate you, basically. I, I know this maybe wasn't the direction we were going to go, but I was just thinking about this, like, it, is this really a good thing, necessarily? I mean, should the... Are there any nerves right now with the Browns sending Deshaun Watson away? Well, first of all, you know, times have changed because now they get to come back right. into the building halfway through their suspension. So instead of him being gone for 11 weeks, which would be an eternity, he gets to come back here on October 10th. And that is going to go very, very fast. Now, he's got a lot of work to do between now and then, and I even still think that that's a bit too much, but it has changed because it didn't used to be like that. You didn't get to come back halfway through your suspension. So I think it's good that he will be back by then because the structure of the football team I think is going to be good for him. You want that good support system. Uh, you know, when he's out on his own, you, they have no control over who he's with or, or what he does. Now, what he does have to do while he's out is comply fully and faithfully with his treatment program. And, uh, you know, so that's one key thing he's going to have to do. He, it's not like he's just left to his own devices for five weeks. He's got to be at appointments. Uh, he's got to uh, do a certain amount of things to make sure that he's, uh, you know, able to get back on the field on December 4th. But I do agree with you, Dan. I think that, you know, I think it's risky for them uh, to, to, you know, to be away from the camaraderie of the team, from the friendship of the team. I mean, just even in talking to, you know, other players that have been a, a good support system for Deshaun, now that all of a sudden is ripped away from you. And um, so, yeah, I think it, it brings with it its own set of risks. Yeah, I mean, you can only watch so much film. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you can only sit in your house and watch so much film. Um, so I, I think the treatment part of it is going to be a, a good thing, obviously. But um, this has to be a slightly nervous 
time for the Browns. But for them, Ashley, it's just about turning that page to Jacoby. Yeah, I mean, that's all they can really focus on at this point. Because like we said, they can't even technically have direct contact with Deshaun until that October 10th date at this point. Um, but it is an interesting point, Dan, because I was thinking the same thing. It's like, okay, you don't want them in the building because, like, I don't know, you don't want them around football stuff and being able to participate that way. Like, that's part of the punishment. But it's like, how beneficial is that, like you said, to rehabilitation? And you're looking at a guy like Deshaun Watson where the league proved that he did what he did multiple times. Um, and now he's away from, like Mary Kay said, this support system of guys who are helping him get through this. And if rehabilitation is your goal, what, what are we doing here type of thing? I think it, it, it's easy to think that. But as of today, you know, Kevin Stefanski said he met with Deshaun. He wouldn't say what they talked about, understandably. He wouldn't say how much time Deshaun is going to be spending in the area during the suspension, if at all. But... Uh, it's safe to say that they're they're kind of on to the next, just like almost like they've said. It's like if somebody gets hurt, what do you do? Like you're not dwelling on the person who's not there. You're kind of focused on getting the next man up ready. So I think that's what we're going to see these next few weeks. I read it just kind of is what it is. <laughs> no, it definitely is. Uh, I mean, there there is going to be some worry because when Watson comes back, that will be his first game, I believe, in exactly 23 months and one day. And I think you said it earlier, there's some work because he has not been hit in an actual regular season of football game in, a, in a, a very long time. But I do appreciate them just going, turning the page, as you said, and just focus on, on the next man and Jacoby Brissett, who, honestly, when you think about it, doesn't have as much pressure as one would think. People speak about uh, Jacoby as if he's starting the entire 17-game season. It's, it's only going to be 11 games. Uh, I think he gets a little bit too much flack. I think that he's really going to lead his team in an even better sense than people would give him. My only problem, though, with the coaching staff is I do not I did not agree with how they uh, only played Jacoby for the last preseason game. If you're not going to play him for the first game, fine, but he's still a backup quarterback. He, he should have received more reps, especially if he's going to be starting for the, for the first 11 games. That's one thing to get, uh, you know, better chemistry with your teammates in practice, but it's going to be different in an actual game setting. And they're going up against Carolina in less than two weeks, and he's only played an actual game with the starters for no more than one half. So, Well, Mary Kay, I think, you know, I think you've addressed this too. You you kind of had an issue with not, not, not just the preseason, but just the idea of how long they waited to sort of hand the keys over to Jacoby. Yes, I, I wondered throughout training camp, uh, and even in the preseason games, if they gave him enough time to get his timing and his rhythm down uh, with the starters. And I also think that it, it may have been beneficial in the dress rehearsal game to give him a couple of series with the full offense. You want to see how that thing is going to operate when you are all out there together. Just for two or three series, run it out there and you know, and see what can happen because... You know, everyone is left with, and maybe there's a method to Kevin's madness on that. Maybe he wants Carolina and other teams lulled into some false sense of security that the Browns aren't going to look good at all. And then you spring Kareem and Nick and Amari and Joel and everybody else on them. So maybe there's something to be said for that. But you have to weigh that against, you know, getting out there and getting that cohesiveness and seeing if you can function together. And I do wonder if he had enough time. Okay, that'll do it for this Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I do want to tell everybody before we leave, we're doing a live Orange and Brown Talk podcast on September 7th, 5.30 to 7.30. 
Uh, it's free. It's at the Music Box Supper Club in Cleveland. It's in the Flats. It's a great venue. It's right on the river. Uh, it's an awesome place. We've done it there before. Uh, we're going to talk Browns. It's going to be our podcast, uh, kind of our big Browns preview podcast. Musicboxcle.com slash event slash orange and brown talk. Just put dashes in between orange and brown talk. Again, that's musicboxcle.com slash event slash orange and brown talk with dashes in between those words. And you can get information and join us live in person. It's been a couple years since we've been able to do that. So excited to see everyone for that. We'll do a live Q&A, all sorts of fun stuff there. And I saw the menu, and I don't remember it off the top of my head, but it's like, it's a true football menu. It's like, a, it's going to be like a tailgate at the, the Music Box Supper Club. So uh, join us for that if you're able. Again, September 7th, 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. Uh, for Mary Kay, Ashley, and I, Rianne Dan, thanks for listening, everybody.